Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, welcome to you. It is good to be together to worship God. Have you ever thought about how blessed it is to come back and have so many brothers and sisters around you uh, on each Sunday evening? And so, you know, to each one of you that's here on kind of a cold, wintry night, obviously you made a, a big intention to be here. And, and it really is an encouragement to each other. I mean, think, think how horrible it would be to come here for a few Sunday nights and there'd be hardly anybody here. And you begin to ask around, why, why, why is no one here? And the answer was, nobody cares anymore. It really is an encouragement to be around people that love to worship God. I know that, that several of our uh, maybe older members or those that are, are a little bit uh, sicker right now, they're not able to be out on a night like tonight. And, and um, we're blessed to be able to have the strength and the health and um, to, to be together to worship God. You know, this past week, looking back at it, is really just amazing. Last Tuesday morning, the Veterans Day uh, program to honor the veterans of not only our congregation, but even those in Mount Juliet, and several guests came. And Joe and Tracy Cowan did just a tremendous job uh, decorating, and Martin Porter led the program, and together those two men are deacons over outreach, and they're doing a tremendous job. And then also... Um, Martin interviewed uh, Jim Gregory and Dwayne Griffin and then the father-son combination of Bill and Jonathan Walker who of course all four are veterans and it was really an enlightening time and a time that I'm sure and hopefully the veterans appreciated but any of us there that were not it very it was very informative and and uh, it's wonderful to be a part of such a day like that and, and glory be to God that his church was a part of giving honor to whom honor is due also, just two nights later, in that very same room, uh, Phil Wagner uh, gave us a report on the work in Latin America. And, and I tell you, it was just a really, really good report. If, if you missed out, uh, you really did miss out. There was just a lot that he told us about of, of the work in the orphan's home and the good work that's being done there. Then he told about various preacher's camp and uh, lectureships and, and short-term mission trips and just the work of the, the uh, preachers and, and all there. And, uh, and then also, in addition to that good news, the good news was over $17,000 was given uh, that night night to the work in Latin America. Some of it was earmarked for Latin America in general, some to the orphanage and, and various places. Of course, some of that to Phil's uh, annual uh, support. And so we're thankful uh, that, that that was a success and, and would remind you that if anyone missed that and wanted to support that, you can make the check out to Mount Juliet Church of Christ and earmark if you want it to go to Latin America missions or to Phil specifically with his work with Latin America missions and you can give it to any of our elders. And going back a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago uh, on a Saturday morning early, uh, the Timothy Hill Children's Ranch breakfast took place, and, and it was wonderful to hear the good things that's going on there. And out of that crowd of probably 200, maybe a little bit more than that people, there were at least 40 from Mountain Juliet that were a part of that, and uh, over 20,000 was given that morning and, and that good work. And it's just, it's just great that there are so many good works going on that are a part of the Lord's kingdom. And glory be to God in that. And He gives us the opportunity to be a part of it. And listen, there's not anybody on earth that can do everything. But let's all make sure we find the place and the opportunity that God has given us. And let's serve there. And, and let's generously give. Uh, God gives to us so that we can be a conduit. 
Everything that He blesses us with is to flow to His glory. And uh, what a blessing that is. We're glad to have the young people uh, back tonight. It's a little bit quiet around here on Sunday mornings when you're not here. And uh, we're thankful that you had a great weekend. And uh, what I understand... And by the way, Philip is here tonight. His, his voice is just a little bit rough. He's not feeling the best in the world. We really appreciate it. We mentioned this morning, Philip and Laura and Jody, and uh, even Amelia Black is working as an intern uh, this, this uh, school year. And uh, they have worked so hard to put on that retreat weeks before and then the actual weekend of it. And, and I understand that record was broken with 129 students at the fall retreat. And we've never had that many students at a fall retreat before. And so that's, that's just wonderful and it's amazing. Now I understand that one of the things that they did was play Pictionary. And I understand that this picture was put up at Pictionary and, and the, the first guess was Hitler. And then it was like, no, no, that's David Shannon. And they said, correct. And I didn't know how to take that. I never thought of myself looking like Hitler, and I don't really care to think of myself looking like Hitler. So I don't know who said that. I'm not going to really hold it against you, but I might. No. But um, on to more serious things. Have you ever tried to imagine starving to death? Perhaps there's some, even in our membership, that maybe is prisoner of wars or in some kind of situation, you've been in a situation where you have truly been to the point of starvation. But most of us here have no understanding what that really is. What would it be like to be starving? Now try to imagine this. What would it be like to be starving and have bread sitting right beside you? It makes no sense, does it? If you were starving, wouldn't you reach for the bread? Tonight, we're going to study some of the great words of Jesus as He tried to urge His disciples that spiritually, they were going to starve to death spiritually if they didn't reach out for the bread of life. And he spends a lot of verses. We won't have time to give justice to these verses tonight. But we want to look through some of these verses where the bread of life was pleading to disciples that were misdirected. He was pleading to them, won't you just reach out? I'm right here. I can help you. I can give you eternal life. Won't you just reach out? Maybe there might be someone here tonight. Spiritually, you're starving to death. Wouldn't you just reach out? What would cause us to not reach out? Let's give us some thought to some of that tonight. As we do that, I'd like for you to notice this slide here. As we think about where we've been on Sunday morning, we see the signs that were mentioned by John in his gospel. And we're not going to read through these, but just a reminder of the first few because we've been here recently on Sunday mornings. Remember the first sign that he gave? Remember each of these signs was so that they would believe what? That he is the Son of God and believing in him that they might have what? Life. In other words, Jesus was the one that could sustain life. He is the bread of life. Are we going to reach for him? And so John writes this gospel and he says, let me give you some proof that he truly is the bread of life, that he truly is the Son of God. And so we've studied recently about him turning the water into wine and healing the nobleman's son and then the healing at the pool of Bethesda. But then this morning we studied about the feeding of the 5,000. 
And you know that we talked about the scope of that miracle in that he literally created a meal for 5,000 families. And we think about the amount of bread that it would take to create a meal for 5,000 families, and yet Jesus did it. And, and we, we look at the scope of that and we say, maybe that's the reason, as we mentioned this morning, that that miracle is the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels. But you remember we also said this morning, there's probably another reason. And that is behind this miracle came some powerful teaching connected to this miracle. He provided all this bread and then the next day he said, let me tell you about the bread of life. And that's probably one of the significant reasons that it's in all four of the Gospels. And so that takes us to this next slide as we see a listing of the seven I am statements. And again, we're not going to go over all these. I just wanted you to see that the first of the seven I am statements begins here in the sixth chapter. It's from the sixth chapter on to the end of the book that we have the seven. And depending on how you want to count them, there's another I am statement that if you want to count that one, it's not worded exactly like the other ones, but it would make eight I am statements. But there's at least seven that are very consistent I am statements. And we see him twice in this one chapter in John 6. Twice in this one chapter he says, I am the bread of life. And so if you have your Bible, uh, open up to John the 6th chapter and uh, if you want to borrow a Bible that's in your pew it's on 943 943 we will have a slide for uh, a lot of the verses that we're studying tonight and I want you to notice how this begins with Jesus looking at these individuals at, and, and he's calling them out of, of really he's, he's putting them to the test to say why are you following me and he knows why he knows that their motives aren't pure. And so he's calling them out to say, I know why you're following me at this moment. And, and let's just let him tell us about it in 26 and 27. Uh, we're in the sixth chapter of John, 26 and 27. Jesus answered them, and keep in mind, earlier in this same chapter is where the, the miracle of feeding the 5,000, and this is just the following day. Okay, so that's real important to really appreciating this text in its context. It's the day before he's fed them, the following day they show up again. Why are they there? All right, let's hear what Jesus says, 26 and 27. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. You notice how Jesus starts this? Most assuredly. We might say something like, you better believe this is true. In other words, Jesus is saying, there is no doubt about what I'm about to tell you. I know why you're here following me. I fed you a good meal yesterday. Now, before you make light of that, how many of you have ever gone back to a restaurant the second time because the first time it was just that good? It makes sense. It's, it's, in, in a physical sense, it's nothing to make light of. Can you imagine? They go and they have a delicious meal that Jesus prepared for them, and it was plentiful. There was leftovers. And so what do they do? The next day they show up again and Jesus says, I know why you're here. It's not because you saw the sign and you said, wow, this is the son of God. We need to go follow him. He said, the reason you're here today was because the meal was so delicious yesterday. In other words, your reason for being here is physical bread, 
not spiritual bread. You're looking for physical substance, not spiritual substance. And so with that in mind, notice what he calls them for in, in work. Look at 28 and 29. Then they said to him, this is their response, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Oh, now wait a minute. You're going to tell me that belief is a work? Yeah. That's what Jesus said. You know, there are so many that misunderstand, and, and we don't have a slide on this, so if you want to hold your finger here, we'll come right back. But look at Ephesians, the second chapter. This is a great misunderstanding among religious people all around us. Work is the very idea that there are things that we need to do. It does not mean that work means that something is merited. Merited means deserved, that you have earned it. Look, look how we're saved in Ephesians, the second chapter, in verse 8 and 9. Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. Notice, it wasn't because you merited salvation. If you're saved tonight, it's only by the grace of God that you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. So what's he teaching in Ephesians 2? He's teaching that there will be no one that will make it to heaven because they deserve to be saved. In other words, they work so much so that God looked down and said, wow, I have to save you. Look how much work you've done. There's no merit that could earn salvation. If so, that whatever that work is could become your God because it can be your Savior. No, the only way that we're saved is by the grace of God. Now, is there any kind of response that is required to become a Christian or to receive the grace of God? Absolutely, there's things that we must do. As a matter of fact, the bookends of the book of Romans, and, and we're not going to chase this rabbit too far, but if you want to just look at the bookends in the book of Romans, in, in Romans, the first chapter, notice... Paul is talking about how fortunate he is to be saved and be an apostle. And he says in Romans 1 and 5, Through him we have received grace and apostleship, notice this, for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. So how did Paul receive grace? Through obedience of the faith. And then we go to the very end of Romans and we see the same book in. In Romans the 16th chapter, and notice, I'm going to just pick up and read verse 26. But now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all the nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. Titus 2.11 teaches us that the grace of God reaches down to all men. But why are not all men saved? Just because a grace is, just because a gift like grace is offered to you doesn't mean that you accept it, right? 
Every gift, you have the ability to accept it or to reject it. Okay, Lord, if I want to accept your grace, what must I do? He says you must accept it through obedient faith. And so now, these individuals come to Jesus, and they're asking Jesus about what they need to do. He's pointed out to them, you're following me for the wrong reason. You're following me for physical bread when you ought to be following me for the spiritual bread. And so they say, okay, we want to do the works of God. What's the work of God? And he would say, the first work of God you need to get straight is belief. That's right. It's a work. It's something we must do. Now, if you ask me, and this is very opinionated, but the hardest work in becoming a Christian is repentance. That's the hardest one. Now, once we have believed and what we have learned what God expects of us and we have to repent, that is, we have to turn away from sin. A believer that has repented of sins, baptism is a very easy decision. That's so easy for someone who is a believer that's willing to repent of sin. All of those are works. They're not works in the sense that they merit salvation. They don't merit salvation at all. But they are works that we must do to have obedient faith in order to receive the grace of God. I don't know if this is a good analogy, but let me throw this out and then we'll move on. I want you to imagine that someone comes and gives you a gift that is just unthinkable. It's a wonderful gift. As a matter of fact, it's, it's a million-dollar check. A million-dollar check. And then you say, I don't want this. I can't spend this. It's a check. I wanted cash. This, this is no good. And they explain, no, no, that's good. All you have to do is go down and cash it, and it's yours. And you say, you expect me to turn this over and sign the back and go down to a bank? I'm not working like that. That's just, that is too much work. I am not working for that million dollars. There's not anybody here that would say that. That's how ridiculous it is to say, well, now, if I have to believe, that's a work, and, and I have to work my way to heaven. If I have to repent, that's a work, and I have to work my way to heaven. Baptism, that's a work, and I am not working my way to heaven. Brethren, Truth is, there's no work we could ever do that would deserve heaven, but we must have obedient faith. So whatever God asks, our response needs to be obedience, that's submission, through faith. And so it's just interesting here that one of the first things that Jesus addresses with these individuals and they begin to question him, he says, you want to know a work? I'll tell you a work. Get to work and decide whether or not you believe that I am the bread of life. Isn't it amazing how many people put such little thought into Jesus? They need to invest some more work so that they can decide if they want to have obedient faith so that they can have the greatest gift, grace, the greatest gift that's ever been offered to them. Will we have that obedient faith? And so that was Jesus' uh, response to them on that. And, and you talk about... If you want to know whether or not Jesus was a patient man, you imagine this dialogue that we're about to read through right here. Jesus was very patient because notice what they, they come out with and they're very 
Uh, you ever been around those people that everything they say, it's, it's for their own selfish best interest? That's, that's the way this conversation, this study is going here. So notice what their response is in 30. You know, you, you wish they would say, okay, we'll do that work. We, we will start believing uh, that you are the Son of God. But instead, notice what they say in 30 and 31. We're back to John the 6th chapter 30. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Now notice their suggestion. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I think Jesus was probably patient with them here, but I, he was human. There had to be some part of him gritting his teeth. There had to be some part of him clenching his fist. There had to be some part of him saying, well, you dirty low down. But he probably didn't say that. Do you see what they're doing here? He's pleading for them to get beyond. I know the only reason you're following me is the physical food. Don't you realize there's something more important? You need to do the work of belief. And so in a sly, indirect way, they try to present themselves as interested in that, but notice their deception. Oh, okay, we will believe that you are the bread of life if you give us a sign. These are the same people that spent the whole day with Jesus yesterday. And remember, he healed all of their diseases. And then towards the close of the day, he fed 5,000 families with a little boy's lunch. And what do they want? Oh, you give us some proof and we'll bleed. Now, they weren't playing dumb. You know what they really wanted? Oh, by the way, could we suggest a sign? You remember that prophet of old? I believe his name was Moses. Remember when he took some people out in the wilderness? Remember he was able to bring them what? Bread every day. Now, if you could do a sign like that, we would start believing you. We're thinking one of those meals like yesterday, every day, just like Moses, and we'll become a follower of you. Jesus has made absolutely no progress with these people at this point. As a matter of fact, not only are they there because they want the physical bread, they're there trying to get some kind of 40-year agreement just like Moses had in, in, in experience with the children of Israel. And so Jesus corrects them very quickly on this. Notice what he says in 32. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Oh, it wasn't Moses that brought that manna. It was God the Father that brought that manna. Let me tell you something. God the Father has already bought, brought bread to this earth. And in essence, what he's about to say to them is I am the bread. I am the manna. And the Father has sent me and I'm standing right here in front of you. So let's go ahead and read that. Notice what he says in 34 and 35. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Oh, so he has sent bread. Go ahead and give it to us always. And notice this great first I am statement in John. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Oh, you want this bread always? I am the bread. 
And not only can I provide for you, I can provide so much for you spiritually, he's speaking about. He says, I can provide for you so much, you will never hunger, you will never thirst. I can fulfill you. Remember the miracle yesterday? The miracle was he was able, they, they were insufficient as human beings to provide the meal. And he could provide the meal with great fullness so much completeness, if you will, that there were leftovers. Now he's using that same kind of teaching and pulling that over into spiritual application. And he says, I can fulfill you. You know what I've heard all my life? I don't mean to make light of it, but all my life I've heard Mick Jagger sing, I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I try. And I try, and I try, I can't get no. And he talks about commercialism in that song that was written back in the 60s by the Rolling Stones. Then he talks about romantic relationships. And most of us in this room, we've heard that most of our life. And you know what? He was right. If you're going to look to anything, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life, and think some way, if I can just get enough of it, I will be satisfied. No, you can't. You can't. Whatever your flesh desires, and, and, and in this world we see a lot of, 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 of abuse to the body and to life because people indulge in fleshly things. But you know what? They never say at the close of the day, we never at the close of the day living that type of life say, I'm satisfied, I'm fulfilled. The lust of the eyes. Oh, I've got to keep up. There's a new year model out. There's a new neighborhood being built. There's more money to make. There's more to buy. There's more status to keep up. Anybody that starts down that trail, they will never close out the end of a day saying, oh, I'm satisfied. I am fulfilled. Proud of life. When you want to be your God and you want to set your destination, you'll never close at the end of the day and say, wow, I am satisfied. Please don't take this for granted. Do you realize many in this room tonight will go home and you'll put your head on the pillow tonight and you will have a peace that is complete. You will have a fulfillment that is real. You will look to the future with great expectation and hope. You'll look to today with great contentment. Brethren, I just want to remind you tonight that if you can pillow your head in that way tonight, it's not because of you. It's because the bread of life is sustaining you. Only those who have the bread of life can truly know a life that is fulfilling. What a blessing. Jesus was pleading. He was trying to get them to understand that, and they just weren't grasping it. Now, if we skipped a lot of verses, what He ends up doing is pleading with them, saying, I am that bread, and you need to eat of my flesh, you need to drink of my blood, and that probably sounded gross to them, 
but also it probably sounded like even if they understood what he was saying, and the idea was that Jesus ought to be consumed. In other words, we ought to make him our life is what he was pleading. And, and they took that and they decided to do something different with that and it became the tipping point, if you will. And, and I'd like for us to look at that and then bring this lesson to a close. Look down at verse 60. Notice what they said then in 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Now think about this. If they really wanted to understand it, the man that could explain it better than anybody in heaven or earth was standing right in front of them. If they wanted to really understand it, they could have been taught it. And if they really wanted to follow it, God never asked of us more than what we can give. They had every capability to give the Lord what he was asking there. But you know what? Their reply was, that sounds like a little bit more than what I'm ready to offer right now. And so because of that, we read verse 66. From that time, many, talking about Jesus' disciples, went back and walked with him no more. The Bible doesn't use numbers here. But do you remember earlier, that day before? There were somewhere around 5,000 families. There were somewhere around 15,000, 20,000 people probably gathered. When the Bible here says, many turned away, I just wonder how many it was. Did Jesus watch? Four, five, six thousand people just turn and say, if that's what you're asking of us, we don't want any part in that. And notice, Jesus didn't chase them down and say, well, can I change what I've taught? Can, can I relax it some way and, and make it appealing to you? Notice it says they turned and never followed Him again. Now it's at that moment that Jesus turns to the apostles. And I would suppose that if we were going to say Jesus was having maybe a, a tough time, maybe a little bit of a stressful time, I would think this is one of those times because Jesus loves souls. Listen, Jesus didn't watch those perhaps thousands walk away and fist pump and say, yeah, they walked away. His heart's broken. Souls walking away from God is never a good thing. And Jesus came to die for those people and they're not going to follow him again. And you can imagine Jesus' heart is broken. And now he turns around and notice what he says in 67. Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? Can you imagine, can you imagine him motioning at those that are still walking off in the distance? And he's looking at those 12 and saying, do you want to go too? Jesus, what are you trying to do? I'm just trying to figure out who wants to be a believer. Who will do the work of obedience and belief? And Peter's answer ought to give every one of us cold chills. And it calls every one of us to say, that's what I want to be. And notice Peter's answer as we read together in 68 and 69, and then the lesson is yours. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know 
that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, I know they don't believe it. But I want you to know something, Lord. We've come to believe. We believe you are the Christ. We don't think you're just some good teacher. We don't think you're just some great miracle worker. We believe that you're the Son of God. We believe you're the bread of life. Lord, we believe. But don't you love that next phrase? This is what I want to devote my life to becoming. He not only said I believe, but you notice that next phrase? We believe and what? No. Maybe he was saying something like this. When I was younger in the faith, I just believed it. But now, I have a firm conviction. One of the greatest times this is used in Scripture is in Job, the 19th chapter. When Job cried out, and you remember Job had all those losses, ten children dead, balls from head to sole of his feet. His wife was discouraged. All of his friends had turned on him. And you remember what he said in Job 19 and 25? You remember because you sing it often. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. Job, you've gone through a lot of losses. Do you still believe in God? <laughs> believe I know I know my Redeemer lives you go to a young man Peter and he'd probably say I believe you go to an older mature man Peter and he would say I know and believe you go to a young man Job and there's probably a time in his life where all he could say is I believe but you go to him later in his life and he says I know there's some in this room that years or decades ago, you could have asked them, do you believe in God? Do you really believe in Jesus? And they would have said, well, sure, I believe. You come to them now and you ask them and they'll say, I know. Listen, when you see God walk with you through life, when you see answered prayers, when you see Him give you strength when you didn't think you'd have the strength, when you see God working, and it doesn't take that long to say, I know, I know my Redeemer lives. And so I close by taking our thoughts to Peter's statement. Lord, where else would we go? Every journey has a destination. If you pull out of this driveway, you can go in one direction, and you end up on Lebanon Road. You go another direction, you can end up on I-40. Every journey has a destination. A multitude decided to take a journey away from Jesus. And Jesus turns to those apostles and said, what's your journey going to be? And Peter wisely said, we're going to stay on the journey with the one that has the words of eternal life. We want our destination to be eternity with God. And Jesus, we know and we believe You 
are the way. Tonight, I beg you to realize it's not just some cute expression. Every journey has a destination. And there's only one journey that will end with the Heavenly Father. And it's those who walk and are sustained by the bread of life. I can't imagine starving to death. But especially I can't imagine starving to death with bread sitting right beside me. Tonight it makes no sense for me to be spiritually crippled for me to be spiritually lame, for me to be spiritually dead, when the one that can give life, not only is He available, He loves you more than anyone has loved you. And He's the one saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If we can help you tonight have your life sustained by the bread of life, We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to pray for you and with you. We would love to see you baptized into Christ. If we can